Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, Wise Woman You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing quite well. How about you? Yes, I'm doing quite well also. Enjoying spring-like weather here. 
<laughs> it's snowing here. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. I've been thinking this week about Carol Raftis, you know. She called, mm. and she was asking me a lot of specifics about um, something that I was using more as an example. Um, it seems like somehow the idea of symbols um, is confusing for people. So I was explaining the idea of symbols, I thought, by saying, well, I have a simple, which is one herb at a time, um, I have a simple of the infusion that we're drinking that day. And it's not like a mix of herbs like it would be in a tea. It's a simple. It's just that one herb. And then I have a quart jar of kava, which is a simple. It's just kava root in that jar, not mixed with anything else. And then I have a jar of matcha. I make um, matcha concentrate. I use about a tablespoon of matcha to a quart of water. So it's fairly strong. I only use a little bit of the kava and a little bit of the green tea and put that into my infusion in the morning. And thinking about the questions that she was asking made me wonder if she was thinking that I was recommending that or saying that that was something that everybody should do or that anybody could do. And I wanted to be really clear that I'm really specifically doing that for me. Of all the things that one can do to prevent cancer recurrence, the one that is most solid gold is green tea. And I'm pretty sensitive to the caffeine in green tea because I'm not a coffee drinker. So I need, if I'm going to be drinking green tea, and matcha is green tea, um, on a daily basis, I need to do it first thing in the morning so that it does not disturb my sleep. I notoriously talk about the first cup of green tea that I ever had where I actually let the tea bag steep. I didn't know. I let it steep for like five or ten minutes. And I was up for two days. I was just like, wow. Wow. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with anybody else drinking green tea, but I'm saying I'm drinking it for a specific reason. And that is that I'm not going back for tests. I'm not going back for scans. Right? As far as I'm concerned, bam, that's done. But, you know, what did the doctors say? They said, well, we, we want you to come back so that when you have a recurrence, we'll catch it early. I'm like, no, that's not what's happening. And part of the reason that's not what's happening is because I'm going to be drinking matcha every day. Mm. As a cancer yeah. preventative, it's pretty good. But it's really, really strong to prevent recurrence. And they really sliced and diced and burned and stitched and did what they needed to do to me. But it has impacted um, a lot the functioning of my muscles because they cut muscle attachments. And it's hard for those muscles to find new places to reattach because they cut off the bony places where those muscles were supposed to attach. So I have a fair amount, less and less, 
of musculoskeletal pain, and I'm kava, especially kava. First thing in the morning keeps me really able to be very active all day. Wow. So, again, I'm not saying, oh, drink kava in the morning. It's like, oh, no. I'm really specifically doing this for myself as a response to what I'm faced with, what I'm dealing with, what I need. Um, most of my life, I would get up in the morning and drink a glass of infusion. End of discussion. Whatever the infusion of the day was, I'd fill my glass with ice cubes, I'd put the infusion over it, and I would drink that. Yeah. So I hope you're listening, Carol. I love you so much. Thanks for asking. I hope I'm cleared out. So, wow, free conference is also really coming along. um, I was thinking about it today in terms of casting a net that you and I fashioned a net at the beginning of the year that we cast out to see who would like to be in that network as a Comfrey Conference presenter. And we have 15 stunning presenters, including Patch Adams, who will be giving our keynote address on joy, cultivating joy, on, on May 9th. And now we're starting to with a different net because that first net is full. That's that's done. We're working with those people, getting their videos, all that. Wonderful. And the net that we're casting now, the net that we're weaving before we actually put it out, we're starting to put it out, is that we are now including in the conference what I'm calling Comfrey Shorts. So if you want to make a video about Comfrey, anything from one minute to ten minutes, when the easy enough, and it will come out in a couple of days, it usually comes out on a Tuesday, but it's been delayed this week, there will be a link for you to submit your Comfrey Short video. And yes, Everybody gets paid. Any videos that we actually use, we're going to pay $7.50 a minute. You send us a three-minute video, and you can have a fancy cup of coffee and a fancy pastry, huh? (laughs) Yum. (laughs) 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 So I'm very excited about that. And I'm very excited about that. because I think so many people have such great comfrey stories, and I want to hear them all. Yes, that will be fun. That will be so fun to hear so many different voices. Yes, absolutely. Now, let's see. I keep getting lots and lots of letters. And... um, Actually, the woman who wrote the letter that 
I read last week, called up and said, I'm so glad you didn't mention my name. I'm just not ready to be public yet. Aw. Uh, and I told her, you know, how much I really liked the her writing and that I thought other people would as well. Yeah. So um, perhaps um, the um, writer of this letter will also get in touch and let me know if she wants her name used or not. She said, um, I was lucky enough to be a green goddess last year. It was the most important, most impactful week of my entire life. And my sister goddesses are some of the most important people in life now. And honestly, Susan, at the age of 31, I finally feel that I am waking up to my spirit, my body, and the earth and my spirit are connected. Oh, I was so thrilled to be initiated as a green witch in a ceremony that I will always treasure as if it were my wedding day. Oh. I naturally am looking at this correspondence course that I'm now engaging in with you as the next step. And and. <clears throat> Honestly, it feels like my wedding night that we're starting this together. Love, love, love you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I can just feel those words. Yeah. Yes. It's so, and I, you know, to me, it's such a delight that I get to spend so much of my life seeing this happen to woman after woman. Right to, to see women come here and in the presence of their sisters and themselves and the earth and the goats just wow say ah I get it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed. And they do, and they do. So what have you been up to this week besides helping me with the Comfrey Conference? Thank you, thank you. Oh, well, that has been truly a joy, and just, oh, I'm just marveling at how it's coming together. Very, very exciting. Uh, so this week, it has been really just somewhat spring-like here, so snow has been melting, and I have kind of been fascinated by watching where the water is going when it melts, um, because some of it has come into the barn, into one of the areas, so... I've been normally, like, turn up the earth, but I am doing that a little bit right now because I'm trying to direct water away from things. And it's just been interesting to kind of be out there in the mud a little bit. And um, then I also have – yeah, yeah. Yeah, so engineering. Find, yeah, it, it, it is. I. I mean, I love the water and the way it flows. I mean, it will go wherever it wants to go. So I just stand there sometimes and marvel and look, and it takes me a while. So we'll see if my ideas are successful or not. But I want to do as little as as possible to the topography. But at the same time, I would like to move it away from some crucial spots um, like the barn. So that's been fun. And then it's just been giving me a sense of the land a little bit more because I have some seeds. I got some Artemisia vulgaris and some Hypericum and have some ideas of where they would probably be happy this year. So I'm going to do some planting before the wa- the weather is too warm and they can do that free thaw thing. And hopefully 
be successful. <laughs> yes. All right. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, this is a great time for doing that kind of thing. It's really, even though it seems springy, throughout most certainly of the eastern and northeastern part, it's really, it's too early to plant things. I remind myself that the first garden I had, I was shoveling snow off the garden on Mother's Day. Oh, wow. Now, granted, that was, a, you know, a little higher up in the Catskills than I am now, but still, it's wise to remember. And that was before so much global warming. Um, but it's still, you know, there's there's still quite a bit of cold ahead of us. And um, yeah. some, un, some unexpected cold as well, you know, that will suddenly strike into these really spring-like, wonderful days when we just want to rush outside and take all of our clothes off because it's 40 degrees. And remember last fall when I was saying get cold at 40? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And how warm it feels now? That's how much your body has changed. It's amazing. I was out there today, like stripping off layers. I didn't start with too many, and then by the time it was done, I just had on one little shirt. It was, and it felt great. But I hear you. I wouldn't dare plant any food right now. But I feel like I'm always late with the seeds that need to go. What do they call it when they go through that period? Some people put them in the fridge, and they have to like be kept in soil in the refrigerator. I'm not good at that. Um, the other option is you can plant them in the fall or really, really, really early so that they still go through the cold. Stratified. Or, okay, they get frozen that's and the thawed word. and frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed. And, yes, the easiest thing to do is just throw those seeds down in the fall so they get frozen and thawed and frozen and thawed. But if you don't, then you have to put them in the freezer and take them out and put them in the freezer and take them out and put them in the freezer and take them out. And you don't even really, so far as I know, have to have soil. It's just the seeds need to be gone through several freezing, thawing cycles. Okay, okay. Well, my hope is that if I put them down in the soil the next couple of days, there will be enough of the freezing and thawing. There will be enough to... freezing and thawing. <laughs> yeah. I hope so, too. <laughs> I hope so. Should be. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> Absolutely should be. Uh, All right. So who do we have with us this evening at 9 o'clock? Chaya Grossberg, Alternatives mm-hmm. to Psychiatry. All right. She offers non-medical consulting to people coming off of or seeking alternatives to psychiatric drugs. She questions the idea that some of us are mentally ill and others are not. That leaves it a little ambiguous. Since if you choose some of us are mentally ill, does that mean all of us are? I always talk about people who are laminated and people who are not so laminated and people whose reality concurs with mine. Mm. Rather than talking about sanity or insanity, because really isn't it about, you know, when you read that some woman 
put her babies in the oven because a voice inside her said that she that they were the spawn of the devil, then you have to say that woman is not living in the reality that I'm living in. You're right. So I will be interested to see what Jaya has to say to us. Stay with us until 9 o'clock East Coast time or come back. I bet there's people who've pushed one and have a question. Yes, there are four callers that have pushed one to signal they have a question. I'll remind everyone listening, if you've got a question this evening, please press one and get yourself lined up in the queue. Our first caller is coming in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is me. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear you. (laughs) I am glad to hear your voice, even though my questions are not glad, but I am uh, reaching out uh, for help. And uh, what happens, I think I said some time ago that... uh, I have a separation process with my daughter, and uh, she is my one and only, and I am alone, and I realize clearly that there is an emotional pressure that I exercise on my one and only, even though I don't want to do that. And um, what's happening is that my blood pressure is going up, and... um, I, I am, you know, taking the Hawthorne and motherwort and the infusions and all that. And I have a pain uh, that used to be very rare in the past, and now it's um, kind of almost every day. And it feels like it is in my left breast, but I'm not sure. It feels more like a nerve pain rather than a thing that hurts, and uh, I don't know what to do about it. I was very nervous the other day talking to a Chinese lady who spoke English, and I heard only Chinese, so our transaction lasted for more than it was necessary for a very simple thing that I was ordering. And I hanged in there very politely. When I hanged up, I was in so much pain that I was afraid I was dying. And as you know, I don't have a doctor to go to, and I don't want to go to the emergency room, and I don't want to call any uh, emergency line either. And, uh, you know, in my head, I'm thinking dying alone is okay, only when it happens, I'm not prepared. <laughs> so I need some advice about that. It did pass after two hours, but I was extremely uncomfortable, and I'm not. Yes, I am, of course, shingle pain and that pain and the other pain, but not this pain felt weird, and I can't really describe it, but it felt very sickly. And it passed. I said, just relax, sit down, and uh, in two hours it passed. And I don't know how to deal with it. It seemed like a nerve pain to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I do take passiflora for that, uh, but um, I don't know to what extent that helps. My blood pressure is going up. You know, I stopped the medication. Uh, When I was on medication, it was either under normal or just a little bit over normal if I was a little excited. Now it's uh, a regular... And what normal right now is? 130, 140, 145. Yeah. Okay. So we're on the high end of normal. Yes. Yeah. So... Between 130 and 140 for the upper number and 80 or 90 for the lower number? Yeah, that's when I was on medication. I was, I, I on was medic- 19. And then since you stopped make, taking the medication, it's now creeping up into the 150 area? Uh, yeah, well, almost, yes, yes. I, almost, okay, but no higher than that. And the 80 or 90, what's, is that moving up as well or is that staying pretty much the same? Um, the systolic, the, the second number, uh-huh. it's, um, yeah, it goes a little higher. It's in the 80s. Okay, which is still very reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So what increases blood pressure? I think stress. I mean, you know, this is what... Okay, I- so... What does stress do that causes blood pressure to rise? Uh, I think probably constriction of of some blood flow. I agree. I agree. I think stress acts as a constrictor. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it constricts the blood vessels, and it probably constricts the muscles and the fascia. Yeah. So that even where there is blood flow, the blood flow doesn't get as far into the tissues as it would if there wasn't that constriction. And the heart literally has to push harder to get the blood to go through the blood vessels. So... The most obvious thing to do is to lower the blood pressure so the heart doesn't have to work so hard. What's wonderful to me about the herbs that you're using and have been using is that these are herbs that specifically make the heart stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if your blood pressure does go up a little, your heart should be up to the task of handling that. That's, yeah. one of the, that's one of the specific actions of the Hawthorne, is it increases the heart's ability to pump. So certainly it's stress. Do you have tools in your toolbox that help you relieve stress as soon as you know that yeah. it's there? Well, I, I, I cry very easily. I uh, 
I rest. Uh, I do Feldenkrais, which is extremely relaxing to me. It's it's moving very gently without any effort physically. Yeah. It, it's yes, a, I, yes, I, Feldenkrais work is so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and you're able to clear your mind of what's stressing you while doing those things. Yes, I, I do it quite quickly, but I realize that uh, there, is a, there is a desire to avoid, which it, when I was young it worked. It's just like, you know, put it in the freezer because right now I'm, I'm busy doing something else so I can't deal with it. Now I can deal with it, but I'm still trying to put it in the freezer. So, uh, but I do, I do release quite quickly. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. So um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross was very um, pointed in talking about stress, and she kept reminding us that what allows a bridge to go from one side to the other is stress. And what keeps a tall building up is stress. And that if we ever expected to cross over great waters or to rise, we would have to learn to accommodate stress. Yes. And she really sent us forth not to try to avoid stress, but to get as many tools as we could to cope with the number of different stressors that life would throw at us. The only stress, she says, that you can never learn to accommodate is the stress of a fast motion and or a loud noise. Oh, yeah. Loud noise really gets at me terribly. Yes. Yes, we are hardwired to yeah. fast motion and loud noise. And so you have to do, you know, your mitigation techniques, but you can't, there's nothing you can do to prevent that response. And it struck me, you know, very strongly that we were going to have an epidemic of diseases caused by stress once TVs went into everybody's home. Yeah, I don't watch TV, thanks God, yes. No, I know you, I know that you don't, but you yeah. think about how many people have a box with loud noises and fast motions, and it's very fast, the motion's extremely fast, yeah. or yeah. even if they're streaming or watching things on their computer, it doesn't even have to be a television, it could just be a screen, and I'm not putting all screens down. I know most of us are working on screens, but I'm talking about this rapidly moving images. So when I was in radiation therapy and I was in excruciating pain, my friend Candace asked me if there was any part of my body that didn't hurt. And my answer was, every single cell in my body hurts. And she said, I want you to really not just like tell me that, which I believe. She said, but I really want you to like go through your body and really check and find if there's any place at all that doesn't hurt. 
And so I did, and I found that the tip of my nose actually did not hurt. And she guided me into focusing my attention on the tip of my nose and really focusing all of my attention on the tip of my nose. And in fact, as I did that, I actually found, not like Pinocchio at all, that it wasn't just my nose that grew, it was that pain-free sensation that grew and grew into a whole universe that was around me. And it was quite extraordinary that I could create that in my mind when I was willing to give up my belief that there was no, no freedom from the pain. There was. Yeah, I've been in a lot of pain, so I am I am familiar with with what you're saying, yes. and how it comes and goes. And the the shingle pain really taught me a lot of lessons in endurance and the separation. And you know, it's it's coming and going, and and life is coming and going, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, I think all of these things are helping you a lot. Yeah, I'm growing wiser. Don't feel growing healthier, but... Wiser, yes, yeah. We uh, are always moving through our lives, carrying with us all of the things that have already happened, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. That's the truth. That's the truth. So did we have we talked about Skullcap at all? Skullcap keeps waving at me and saying, I could be of some help here. Okay. Skullcap, yeah. Skullcap, yeah. So see if Skullcap speaks also to you. Tincture? Yes, I like the tincture of Skullcap. I especially like the tincture of fresh Skullcap. Well, I don't know about fresh, you know me. <laughs> but I, I can buy it. But from... I think that uh, white feather tinctures fresh skullcap. White, white weather? White feather at Catskill Mountain Herbals. Oh, white feather. I'm pretty sure that she makes tincture of fresh skullcap. So I'm not saying to eat fresh skullcap. I'm saying... The tincture I like is the tincture of the fresh skullcap, and and that will help me with with pain or with my nerves or what? Specific? Yes, yes, and yes, exactly. All right, thank you. Nerves and pain. 
And I keep taking all the others, including the passiflora and uh, the usual everything, infusions and... Uh, infusions, certainly. Yeah. And yeah. again, drink, you know, drink one, them one, of the reason, one of the reasons that I use simples is so I can uh, add or subtract anything I want. Right, so when you say, should I keep using this, I don't know, but you know and your body knows. Mm-hmm. And so when you pick a bottle up and you feel it, is your body saying, oh yeah, that stuff good. I don't even take the same amount of herbs every day. I really feel into how much of this I think that I'm different every day. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and that I need to be responsive to that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm also flexible about it. Yeah. So bring some skullcap into your life. Okay. And see, you know, if it's a relationship that is going to work for you. And... Look at your relationships with the Crataicus and say, how is this going? Do I need to be spending more time with this? Do I need to take it more frequently? Am I at a good place? Like any relationship, and it's why I call the plants allies, um, it's going to be not just different from day to day, but different at different times. Maybe right now your body wants, says, oh, you know, um, if you would like double the amount of critacus that you're taking, uh, your blood pressure would be fine. I don't know. But that does sometimes happen. That people, you know, say, oh, well, now this is going up. Let me then, what would a doctor say if you were doing drugs and you were not getting the effect they wanted, they would increase the amount. So it's pretty similar with an herb. I don't like the idea, but I'm willing to try it. Uh, so I'll take more Hawthorne, let's say. Yes. For a while, yeah. Well, I can and, and, and I see. Three times a, a day instead of twice. Instead of twice, yes. Yeah, okay, that's a good idea. I will try that. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, you, Susan. Green blessings. Green blessings to you. Green spring. (laughs) Green spring. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And there are four callers with their hands raised. Our next caller is dialed in from the 626 area code. From the 626, you are live with Susan. Hello, I think that's me. Hi. Hi. I just had to say I love um, that Sarah Ellen mentioned the water moving today, too, because that's one of my favorite parts of winter, and I've never heard anyone speak on that. But um, I don't live with any snow, but I live up here in the redwoods and the mountains, and I live up on a hill, so we have to dig the water ditches and the sides of the roads and 
seeing it move is just one of the most magical things to me. I just love it. So um, that really tickled me. Love that. But hello to you too, Susan. I just am so in gratitude to you. I was reading Healing Wise all day today for like the billionth time. The whole book is pretty much highlighted at this point. It's kind of a joke. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I just love it. Everything at a different time in my life hits me like this magic. I feel like the book was written just for me. It's just, um, yeah, really grateful for you. So I'm so happy to be able to call you today. And... um, yeah, I'll get to it. So, okay, thank I you, thank you. And what's up tonight? Yeah, I am calling about my skin. I've been dealing with acne for almost like ten years now. I'm 29, and I called you maybe six years ago about this, and uh, you mentioned to me to use Yarrow with like a rough washcloth, and I did that um, probably for four years pretty gently and was drinking my infusions on and off but honestly being consistent with the infusions has been like half of the medicine for me because uh it's really hard and um but yeah good to that later um so yeah I drink infusions on and off and um here I am now about a year ago I went to a naturopath um, because I had a small, like, dime-sized piece of hair fall off from the back of my head. And I I think I, we came to the conclusion it was from, like, a bee, a wasp attack that I had. Um, but she, her comment was that maybe she thought it was, like, a yeast or candida-related thing with my skin. And I read a lot of your information about candida, and so I kind of, came with her with that and she, you know, suggested maybe some usnea or some black walnut and I know you mentioned black walnut, so I started taking that tincture about once a day. Um I did that till the bottle ran out, didn't get any more, so that was for like a month. There is no such thing as a candida overgrowth. Right. And that you know that that's what I kind of um came out with her. I do have like some yeast or like some white vaginal buildup. So I don't know just not how sure what you mean buildup. Um like inside the of vagina my is a naturally moist environment and there should be um whitish stuff in, in or around or coming from the vagina, not copious amounts of it, and it just shouldn't smell bad. And as a matter of fact, changes in the amount and the texture of that, sometimes some people call it cervical fluid, um, is a one way that women can learn about their fertility. Mm. Hmm. Because okay. you will begin to notice that that changes. Right. Well, this is a little, like, chalky, and I feel like maybe it's not, like, as fluidy or part of the moist part of my vagina. It's more, um, like, it feels like it makes my inside of my vaginal canal, like, pucker up. Um, Ooh. <laughs> and kind of, yeah, it's, like, kind of makes so, it dry. Um, so what could be doing that? The soap you're washing your underwear in, things you're putting in your bathtub, 
lack of orgasms. Could be lack of orgasms. Um, I am pretty clean, or I'm not clean, but I'm pretty cautious about what soaps. I only use, like, unscented everything and Dr. Bronner's soap. and Smart, very um, smart. So I've been pretty vigilant about that. Um, and living out here in, in, on the mountain, I can kind of control my, you know, environmental um, things or, you know, what I put on my body pretty um Pretty easily, good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, but I feel like, yeah, I'm just So do you how, want, what do you think, what do you think it wants? Do you think that your yoni wants to sit in some kind of herbal water? Do you think it wants to be anointed with some kind of herbal oil? Hmm. Yeah, the lubrication sounds nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, the oil sounds soothing. Yeah. yeah. So, of course, any oil, just the oil, but then herbs that are supposed to be nice, soothing, lubricating chickweed exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. I do have some chickweed oil. There you go. I have a quick question about that. I harvested that in some beds. I do live in Humboldt, so I harvested them from some um, cannabis raised beds um, that had been treated with really organic fertilizers, amendments, worm castings and things. Um and then I harvested the chickweed from that. And then I kind of had reservations. I've been letting it sit for about a year. I have the tic- the, the oil and the tincture. But is that... And you had totally reservations to... You had reservations that... because there were amendments added to the soil? Yeah. And it was all soil that was brought in that year. So, it, like, it didn't really have, I, I don't know, time to be an old plant. <laughs> I know it comes back every year, but... Yeah, I just had. It doesn't you know, come back every year. It's an annual. Mm, right, right, right. It can't well, be an okay, old plant. So, right. So, I guess. Well, so more I, about, I, I, I can't quite like figure out what could be wrong with soil that has been enriched. Okay, sure. I like that. Um, so yeah, I'll use that chickweed oil. Uh, yeah, use that chickweed oil. I think that's a perfect yeah. thing to use. Yeah, and so I guess I'm wondering how to like listen a little bit deeper to my skin about what could be flaring it up, and it's it's kind of more about clogged pores. I don't have as much like breakout as much as like my skin feels like maybe like my lymphatic system's not like pumping things or like things are just feeling built up underneath my skin. Mm-hmm. Um. I know when I was pretty young, um, an older woman said to me, you must exfoliate every day. And I know that's not very popular now, but it has certainly served me well. And that means usually um, I'm going to put some witch hazel on a rough washcloth and scrub my face with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, you know, like to, you know, make things where you like grind up almonds and then you rub that on your skin. But I don't use that every day. But I do ha- have some 
of those kinds of, ex, you know, make it yourself exfoliants as well. But um, especially if you're feeling like things are built up on your skin, witch hazel is just wonderful for lifting that up. And if you're rubbing with, with a rough washcloth is too hard on your skin, certainly don't do it. And my skin likes that washcloth for sure. Yeah. I, I'm grateful you recommended that to me many years ago. I felt like that's been really helpful. Um, I did make a little witch hazel spray um, with some hydrosols and um, some butterfly pea flowers, so it was purple and really beautiful. But um, I have been using that witch hazel too. Um, and I also have been taking Vitex because I, I kind of have this lurking suspicion that it maybe could be hormonally related and wondering. It's certainly could. On that. I think so. I think there's yeah. a chance of that. Yeah. I do have a few uh, dark chin hairs that made me think about that the other day. I was like, hmm, I wonder if, uh, if this could all be related. Um so, yeah, I started taking the Vitex to drop a That's an excellent choice. I really think that's wonderful. I'm glad you're doing that. Yeah, I just started that last week, and I kind of restarted my infusions and um, and then kind of refueled to give some attention to my body. Um, so, Yeah. I guess I'll continue with that Vitex and um, the Witch Hazel. And, you know, the classic thing that is always said about the skin is that the skin is a reflection of the liver. Mm. And that if there's problems with the skin, then it means that the liver is asking for help. Mm Mm-hmm. And that could be as simple as dandelion. All right. I I also have some dandelion tincture. There you go. See what your body and your skin has to say about that. Beautiful. And and do you think burdock might be uh Burdock absolutely burdock wonderful. Burdock is renowned for helping people have beautiful skin. Do you have any suggestions about how to make it more palatable? Burdock? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, I really enjoy eating it. I guess maybe that's my answer because the tincture is really intense for me. Um, I hear you. But, yeah, eating it's delicious. Oh, eat it, yeah. Oh, All right. Some wonderful listener sent me a whole care package of burdock things. And there were, like, dried burdock and pickled burdock and burdock miso. And Ooh. she must live where there's a Chinese market because there were a lot mm. of fun and exciting things in my burdock care package. And it was quite a delight. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. So if you get a chance to go to a Chinese market, perhaps you will find some fun burdock things. Lovely. Great suggestion. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Awesome. Thanks, Susan. 
Take care. Good night. Green blessings. All right, and we have three raised hands here. Our next caller that has pressed one is dialed in from the 908 area code. From the 908, you are Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Carol Raftis. Hey, Carol. Hey. <laughs> I have been listening since the beginning of the show since I was talking to you. Yes. Yes, I was nodding right. my head. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I understand um I think in my consciousness I understand what you were doing with your you know simples and um I just found it wondrous what you're doing. Um Okay. Right. So <laughs> Yes. So um uh I am experiencing um an overactive bladder, and I would say maybe two, three months, and um, it's, I did go to the gynecologist, and she said it's an overactive bladder, and she did say something about a medicine, but I did not want to pursue that. Um, I'd rather, you know, work herbally. Um, um I, it seems like I have to, go, of course, I'm 75, and it seems like I have to go every half hour or so. And especially if I go out in the cold, I for sure have to go in this real cold weather. And so I'm just, it's not to the point where it's leaking out and just, you know, I have control of it, but I just have to go. I feel that urge, and I don't know why. Um, and, of course, it's about at least once in the night when I get up, but I think that's that's normal. And it, I try to limit the liquids after 6 o'clock. Um, so just asking for your recommendation. Well, one of the ideas about this is that – as we get older, we are more sensitive to the signal that says you need to pee. All right. And that, yes, while there are drugs, uh, those drugs dry everything out. You wind up with dry eye syndrome and, mm. you know, tooth problems. You real, I do not think that they're very good drugs personally. Um No. So what's usually recommended um, is that you thwart your bladder. That you simply say, no, no, excuse <laughs> me. We are, not, we are not peeing now. You cannot have this. No. Now, it seems very harsh and cruel, doesn't it? But apparently, apparently the feedback loop in your body is if your bladder says we have to pee and you go and pee and then it says 30 minutes later we still have to pee and you go and pee, then it will definitely say it again 30 minutes from then. Oh, I see. So really you behavioral... Really, you have to oh. 
do whatever you need to do to be able to say, not doing it. Not going. Right. I hear you. Right. You say we have to go. Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. Ignoring you now. Yeah. And if that means you have to get incontinent underwear, just in case oh, there is an yeah, accident, right. then yeah, right, do it. Right. Then do it. Okay. Because it's only, what I'm told, is it only gets harder. Oh, okay. oh dear. Yeah. Right. Once you let that bladder start calling the shots, it only gets harder yeah, right. for you to get to be the one who's back in control. Yeah. Oh, great. So. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> yeah, right. Yeah. All right. right. And um, the other thing is to be sure that you're not dealing with bladder infection. Because while... Mm. While as we age, we become more sensitive to that signal that we need to pee, we become a little less sensitive to the early signs of bladder infections, which can sometimes make us pee more, right? Okay. If there's a mild bladder infection, that could be causing you to feel like you have to pee all the time. But that the rest of the bladder infection symptoms. So see if corn soup will help. See if if ursi will help. See if yarrow will help, you know, depending on how, right, the kind of mildest, moderate, and strongest. Corn soup, ursi, yarrow. I make corn soup infusion. I dry the corn silks during the summer, and then I kind of ball them up in six, the silk from six ears of corn is one ball, and that's what I use in a quart jar. Oh, Lord, that's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's so good, too. I I did that because I don't think you could get an ounce of corn silk in a jar. It's very light. Yeah. Yeah, very light. Um, But the others... The Ursi, U-R-S-I? Uva, Ursi. Oh, Uva. V-A, Uva, which is one way to, to say egg, Uva. Ursi, U-R-S-I, which means bear. The bear's egg. Oh, right, bear. Right? egg. Bear, bear berry is another name for it. Uva, Ursi, oh, okay. Ursus, right, bear berry. Right. And be used as an infusion or even a tea or a tincture. All of those work just fine. And then yarrow, again, whatever way you like it. Some people would say drink that yarrow tea is kind of bitter. All right, yarrow tincture. Very disinfecting. Oh, wonderful. You don't, you don't need all three of them. If I thought, I wonder if I have a bladder infection, I'd probably just start with the corn silk. Yeah, and right. The but I wonderfully soothing, and that must yeah. be enough to ease back on that. You know, between your like taking a firm stand and giving oh, a little yeah, right. helping hand with the corn stuff, that might just be enough. And if it's not, then you could go on and say, "Well, let me try some Uva Ursi." 
You know, yeah, kind of mm-hmm. for a little while, and then that, that's not getting you where you want to go. Then, right, then you can m- move up to something um, more targeted. Yeah. Because Crenshaw yeah, wouldn't necessarily get rid of an infection. It would get rid of an irritation. Right, right. Right, it's uh, like Crenshaw morning after Crenshaw. cystitis kind of thing, Crenshaw. Yeah. Crenshaw may be at Frontier. I don't know. Probably. Yeah, probably. probably. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm so glad you called. I love you. I love you, too. Oh, gosh. And would you ever consider uh, a recipe book that compilates all, you know, a lot of all that you've done? There actually is a recipe book floating around somewhere. Oh. Um, And it was given away as some kind of premium at some point. So I would say, um, you know, shoot off an email to Wise Woman at Herbs Healing. And say, wasn't there an ebook of recipes? It might even be at the mentor site. I don't really know. Okay. Wise Woman at Herbs Healing. Wise Woman at Herbs dot com. Oh, dot com. Okay, very good. Oh, thank you. So All right. That would be such a pleasure. Good night. Thank you. I love good you. Good night. Good night. All right, and it looks like we have one caller with their hand raised. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan this evening, please remember to press 1 and put yourself in the queue. Uh, Let's see, our caller is dialed in from the 512 area code. From the 512, you are live on the line with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I need some help with menstrual flooding. I have been using Shepherd's Purse. Um, I tinctured a bunch of it a couple years ago, and I still have a lot. Um, And I also have experimented with Ladies Mantle. They both seem to work pretty well at stopping the bleeding. Um, But then I seem to get breakthrough bleeding all the rest of the month. And then the next time I have a period, it's um, I have a lot of really large clots that are painful to pass. Yeah. So I'm wondering if old? maybe I'm yeah. doing myself. And you're how old uh, right now? I'm I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So we we might think that this is menopause related. I hope so. I'm ready to be done with it. <laughs> I think so. Sounds to me like it is. And, yes, the shepherd's purse will definitely cause clotting, which can be painful to pass, without a doubt. I have never heard of anybody taking shepherd's purse except in an acute situation. Hmm. The only person that I've ever heard that didn't do it in an acute situation was my sister when she was a midwife. And she gave some women, I don't know how many, shepherds first during the labor to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. And she got a lot of big, hard to pass, painful clots and stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's she, re- she kept the, the shepherds first. And if there was a hemorrhage, she would give the woman shepherds first to stop the hemorrhage. When I had 
I didn't actually have menopausal flooding. I had menopausal drip. And it took a dropper full of shepherd's purse one night and a dropper full the next morning to to stop it. And that was all I needed. And I didn't continue to take it. Um, Well, the other... Oh, go ahead. So when you say that there's flooding, I lived with a woman who would put in two tampons and wear a pad and still leave a trail of blood to the bathroom. Are we at that place? Yes. Okay. Yes, and I'm having to get up in the middle of the night probably three times to change a really extra heavy pad. Yeah. And you have brought up the amount of iron in your diet. Well, I had my iron tested because that was definitely a concern, and they said I was fine um, stop taking any iron supplements that I had. They didn't say anything about supplements. Did I say supplement? No. No. I suggested that you eat more iron-rich food. Yes? And I didn't ask what your iron level was because I don't think it's important what your iron level is. If we went out on the highway and we counted how many tomatoes there were in trucks on the highway, would that say anything about people eating tomato sauce? No. So I don't really care what's in your blood because it doesn't tell me what's in your cells, does it? True. And so, um, you can, your blood can be loaded with nutrients, but if you don't have the right enzymes, which act as switches and keys to get those nutrients into your cells, then you have healthy blood and impoverished cells. And that's okay. often what happens when people take supplements. The supplements change the blood. You have more of that nutrient in the blood, but it's still not getting into the cells. But when you get the nutrient from food, so if you... Put a spoonful of molasses in water and drink it, or a spoonful of molasses into your infusion and drink it. That's going to that's gonna give you more usable iron. Yellow dock is an herb that doesn't necessarily contain very much iron, but it maximizes the body's ability to use iron. Okay. So... Again, it won't change your blood levels of iron, but it will change your cellular levels of iron. Mm, okay. Cellular. Okay. Um, and I do get metals. If you are losing iron, if you're losing that much blood, you are losing iron. Yes. There's no way around it. Yeah, I feel very depleted, like just Absolutely. And, of course, with holes... The blood, which holds the iron in the blood, is heme, H-E-M-E, right? Mm-hmm. Heme becomes hemoglobin. So I generally think that if a woman is experiencing heavy bleeding, that she needs more bloody things in her diet. Mm. Okay. And make them the healthiest, bloodiest thing you can find. You know, 
Organic liver is the cheapest of all organic meats, and it's the highest in iron. Okay. And people say, ooh, I can't even, you know, begin to think of, you know, eating like a whole piece of liver, get some organic chicken livers. Or even, you know, have organic chicken livers, get regular chicken livers. The liver is not a sponge that sucks up toxins. It's a flow-through organ. In fact, if an animal or even a person has been taking drugs, the last place you'll find them is in the liver. Okay. And also, of course, by law in the United States, you can't give any animal antibiotics or hormones um, within a certain pretty large time frame. So, again, even if you're not buying organic, you're probably getting antibiotic and hormone-free. Great. Yeah. All right. All right. So... Tell your body that you're ready to be done. You're very clear with me that you want this to be done. <laughs> be that clear with your body. Okay. I was very ambivalent about it when it first began, and, and then I think now I'm not so ambivalent. <laughs> yes, exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your body, we're not ambivalent anymore. You don't have to hold on. Guess what? We're done. <laughs> right? That's it. Goodbye to the bleeding. Okay. Goodbye. It's I'm done with it. Thank you. It was a great show while it lasted. This <laughs> menstrual show and boop. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I'm having a love affair with Shisandra, so I'm gonna mention that Shisandra nourishes energy very, very deeply. I'm going to assume that you're already nourishing herbal infusions and that you're getting a good quantity of nettle, which is nourishing your energy, and you're still feeling depleted. I think that maybe an alliance with Shisandra could be helpful. Give me some feedback. At some point, And that's when I can tincture myself, right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Good. Thank and, you very much. Yeah. I keep yourself out of the emergency room because they're going to snatch your uterus. I know. Yes. I don't want right. like that. We don't want that. So whatever you need in the way of help, if you need a friend to be helped, be sure that you have that set up right. Women have called from the bathtub. I'm in the bathtub bleeding. I'm like, I'm glad you brought the sun in there with you. That was good thinking. (laughs) Do you know and I know it can suddenly get very strong. Yeah. So create safety for yourself if that happens, okay? Okay. All right, good. I can do that. Great. Green blessings. Green blessings to you. Thank you. All right, and there are two callers that have raised their hand. Our next caller is dialed in from the 404 area code. From the 404, you are live with Susan. Greetings, green blessings. 
Greetings, I think. <clears throat> How are you this evening? Well, it was kind of a gray day, but then we got some glittery snow, so that was okay. How about you? I'm wonderful. Um, I've been doing a lot of healing, so I'm really, I'm really just grateful. <clears throat> and um, so I've been wanting to heal some things that have been going on in my body since I had an emergency C-section. It wasn't my plan. A home birth was my plan, but once I got uh, went in for my 39 week. My daughter's five, by the way, so I've been kind of not dealing with what I'm getting ready to tell you about, but anywho, um, <clears throat> kind of dealing with it and not dealing with it, it shows up and disappears. But anywho, um, I showed up for my 39-week appointment, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, this baby, we can't we can't hear anything. And ultimately, I had to get an emergency C-section, which was not my choice. Um, afterwards... I say because they thought the baby might be dead. Yes, ma'am. So afterwards... Um, I have been deal I you know healing from a C-section <clears throat> and experiencing some um smells coming from my navel uh discharge at one point in time um it's also a little bit of a hardness there um and so I'm just not quite sure what's going on I didn't have this experience before I had a child um I didn't have this experience after my pregnancy Surgical incision for C-section is often parallel to the pubic bone, in other words, from hip to hip, but occasionally it goes from the pubic bone up toward the sternum. Which way does yours go? Hip to hip. It's sideways. Sideways. Okay. So there's something, coming, the out you... of your, something coming out of your navel, even though there's no incision near that area. No, ma'am, but I will say that um, a part of my daughter's issue was that her cord was in a true knot, so I don't know if, you know, that had something to do with what was going on with my body, but, yeah, this is something that I've only experienced after childbirth, after the surgery, so mm-hmm. just trying mm-hmm. to figure out what's going on. I've been cleaning my belly button with which no. We have not made any correlation between what's going on body and what's going on with the umbilical cord. There's a very strong correlation between your body and the placenta. But the umbilical cord is kind of, you know, it's just like, uh, we have no idea really why it knots up sometimes. Hmm. And the interesting thing about my placenta. They actually actually saved your daughter's life. Thank you right. for that, Susan, because I felt like a failure for a very long time. Like, you I were just not felt a failure. Like, you you know, yeah. gave way at a time when it was hard to give way. You had a vision. You were going to have a home birth. You were on a track. And they said, right now we want you to let us cut you open and take your baby out of you. And you managed to say yes. That's enormous. Yeah, it was after I told her, if you cut me, I'm going to cut you. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> but afterwards, I, I took a deep breath and said, let me be a big girl. I got to do what I got to do. So, yeah. You got to do what I you got to do. Thank you for that. They did it in your daughter's eyes. Yes, ma'am. And she, she's a blessing to my life. And she, she, wouldn't, she would not have survived labor. 
She wouldn't. I know. I know that now. Um, you could have given birth to her. She could have survived being pushed out, but she wouldn't have survived the hours of labor. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So how, I, I really appreciate that. You know, my daughter had a C-section after. Mm-hmm. I think she was in labor for a hundred hours. I mean, you know, it's like, wow. it just went on and on. And she tried this and she tried that and see that. And finally, finally, she said, "Okay." This is what it has, has to be. And, of course, it's not what she wants. It's not what any woman wants. Mm-hmm. You don't, right. like, wake up in the morning and usually and say, I think I'll have a C-section today. Although I hear in South America that many women actually are thinking that way. Right. Um, and I was so thankful because I thought, my gosh, you know, it, even 100 years ago, the doctor would have come to me and said, would you like a granddaughter or a daughter? You can have one but not both. Mm. You're right. You're right. And I was in labor with my daughter from Wednesday to, and I ended up having the C-section on Sunday. So I was in labor just about just as long as your daughter, and it was a, it was a hard decision. I just tried. I was just like, I gotta get this baby out, but I didn't get past five centimeters. My body yeah. just wasn't ready. Wasn't gonna do yeah. that. Yeah. Right. And, and and there she is. Both of you are alive and thriving. Bless me. Mm-hmm. What joy. And, hey, we love comfrey. And comfrey is so great for rubbing on bellies, especially bellies that were pregnant and then got cut. Mm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm so excited about the Comfrey Conference. It's, it's a, my I'm birthday is seven, so I'm it's my gift. <laughs> Can I ask you one, one quick question? I don't know if you were done getting yeah, advice. Absolutely. I just want to ask you one more quick question. Because um, sure. that was a lot. And I've been also using Witch Hazel on my belly button. Also. I just want to put that out there. But That's my other question great. was my partner and I, um, we have a very spicy sexual um, sex life, but as far as, like, longevity in the bedroom, like stamina, that's an issue. I was wondering if I could get some herbs to help him. I've tried certain herbs, but I, I guess I'm just trying to think of, you know, something that could really, I don't know, something that could help. Because I think a, I'm having the same issue as a of, caller. A copy of down there. I don't, but I will get one. Because I have a whole section about herbs that do that. For meals? Yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Awesome, because I think I'm having some of the hormonal, the chin hormonal issues, the acne, and I've never had that issue before because I've always been very sexually liberated and had a lot of fun and was free, but in my relationship, you know, it's just me and him and I... You know, it's, I don't always get that satisfaction, those orgasms and different things like that that I'm used to. And I think it's coming through. It's showing, you know, in my skin. Very important to remember, I think, for every woman. You're your first lover. You're your best lover. You're your last lover. Your orgasms are in your hands. You want to share them with somebody else? That's the whipped cream on the banana split. 
The baseline okay. is you and your organisms. It has nothing to do with anybody else, although you might be thinking about somebody. That's certainly all right. I need to masturbate more is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, that's always been difficult for me. It was easier when I was younger and I was more sexually free and open, but I think I was moving in a lot of trauma when I was younger and I needed that, but now I'm really trying to, I don't know, and so masturbation has become difficult for me. It used to be really easy. I hear you. I really hear you. And there's a lot of new devices out there. So you might even want to... I have toys. Cast an eye to see about that. And I think that you get the benefit if you get yourself to the place where all of those tissues are engorged, whether you have that big O or not. Okay. Because what we really want is that increased blood flow there, right? Okay. Good information. So don't push yourself any more than you push him. Let it be. Okay. Nothing has to happen. It's okay. Okay. All right. I, I, was, lovers for, I was lovers for 32 years with a man who was incapable of having an erection. It didn't okay. put the slightest crimp in our pleasure. Right. 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 So, right. yes, you know, you can make that better, and that's fine, especially if he's into that. I think it's more of but his you can also just say that doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. I think I because of the hormonal acne, maybe that might be stress, but also the energy that I get from him when I can see that it's, he wants to last longer, you know. I understand. But maybe what it is isn't... His penis. Maybe there's some other it. Right. He is a veteran, and he has some, some, you know, healing to himself after we post-war. So. Yes, we're all so unique, and we're especially unique sexually. And it's one of the things right. that we want to do for our lovers to really protect them and take care of them. And you know best what can be. And where we started this discussion was, you take care of you so that when you're with him, it's all play. Okay, got you. That makes sense. Right? Yes. I get get that a lot. Thank you. All right. All right. Dream blessings. Thank you so much. I love you, Susan. Love you back. Right back. Dream blessings. Good night. All right, and there are two callers that have raised their hands. Our next caller is dialed in from the 401 area code. From the 401, you are live with Susan. Hi. Hi, hi. Um, hi, I'm Stephanie, and I thank you so much for your wonderful um, open lines to answer our questions. Um, I am also calling about menstrual flooding. So that was an interesting introduction that we just had before. 
I'm 54 years old, and I <clears throat> I have been bleeding heavily uh, for like a year. I kind of like didn't realize how severe it was. I just thought, oh, this is what's happening now. And um, but I recently so got, let me interrupt. When you say you've been bleeding heavily for a year, do you mean every day? No, no, no. Just like um, the last year or so my my periods were heavier than they were ever before and okay, so getting it. more and more and now recently I've been to the situation that you know I have to get up three times a night and all that and it impacts my life uh, style I mean like my logistics <laughs> so um so and then recently I had my I had blood work done because I was diagnosed uh, with uh, well anemia and actually it was iron deficient anemia and very very low um, iron. So I got two units of intravenous iron and I um, and of course and I have fibroids. So my gynecologist wanted me to have a hysterectomy and I said. No, I just learned that I have fibroids, so I want to work with that for a while, you know. And now that I have two units of iron and my iron levels are back up in a normal range, I feel so much better. And I was reading in the um, Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, which I've had. I bought it in, like, 96 when I was in my 20s just because I was loving your, your teachings and I've had it on my shelf all these years. And then I realized, oh, it's time for me to pull this book off the shelf now. So that's fun. And I saw you said that with intense blood loss comes iron deficiency, which aggravates blood loss. And that fascinates me. The question that does, does actually the iron deficiency itself also exacerbate the excessive bleeding? Yes. Okay, that's so fascinating. How, how tell me more about that. I mean, the, why, how is the, that? The iron is like a metal, right? Mhm. So it creates structure. Okay. And when you don't have mm-hmm. that the blood vessels become more fragile and it's easier to bleed. Okay. And this is especially true of menstrual bleeding. Hmm. Wow. You're already bleeding. And if there's iron in that blood, then it literally has more structure so it doesn't flow as easily. Gotcha. The the woman that I lived with who bled so excessively um, found that she couldn't eat any raw food for 48 hours before she started bleeding. Wow. Because it it pushed the bleeding so much for her. Interesting. Hmm. Well, you know, my first period after the iron infusion was almost a normal period <laughs> and I it was really interesting and that's what I had just read from your book and and then I got this much less severe period and I still and I'm, I'm just I have I started taking ladies mantle because I just 
um, found out about the fibroids, and I made a batch of Vitex tincture, fairy tincture, a big batch. So I'm going to just start taking that and see if I can help the fibroids to shrink. But also I start taking Ladies Mantle based on your recommendation in the book. And um, but I but I feel like the iron infusions themselves have helped the situation. You're right; they have, and you can keep those iron levels high with the things that I mentioned when I was talking to the other woman: blackstrap molasses, mm-hmm. liver, mm-hmm. yellow mm-hmm. dock. Mm-hmm. Cool. Wow. Well, this is so exciting because I wanted to. The hematologist, I told them, I believe, you know, with, I was saying, well, my, my period seems, this seems to have improved. And he was sort of saying, no, no, no. I've never heard of a correlation that it, you know, he was saying blood loss causes iron deficiency. Iron deficiency doesn't, you know, and I, so I thought I wanted to find uh, more. Uh, yes, <laughs> so I can't wait yes. to go tell him. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for all your lifelong dedication to helping us all. You are so welcome. Green blessings. Thanks for sharing with us. Green blessings to you too. Thank you. All right. All right. Let's see if we can get that last call we squeezed in here. Before we talk to Chaya. From the 503, we're live with Susan. From the 503. Hello, Susan. This is Aaron. Thanks so much. Hi, for Aaron. Um, yeah, we've been really enjoying learning more about herbalism through everything that you have been teaching, and my wife and I have been listening to the show for a while. So it's my first time calling. Excited to talk to you. Thank you. What's up with you tonight? Um, I have been having kind of a lifelong uh, spell of eczema, uh, just kind of scratchy skin and itchy um, around the waistline. And it's been, I think in the winter months, it gets worse. And I'm just curious to hear what you think might help. Um let me start here. Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions on a daily basis? Yeah. We are currently rotating uh, nettle, linden, um, and two more. What were the other ones, ladies? Oat straw and red clover. Oat straw and red And you have left off my favorite, which is cut. And which is the one that will help your skin the most. Okay. Good to know. It's uh, one of the reasons we're having a company conference, so <laughs> that we can reassure you that, um, well, let's see. I've been drinking a quart of comfrey every five days for approximately 30 years. I just figured it out today. That's about 550 gallons of comfrey infusion I've consumed in 30 years. And last year when they looked at my liver, they said it was top notch. Okay. You're wondering, so I uh, can I can say uh, that at least in my experience, comfrey does not in any way impact your liver, but it sure makes your skin great. Awesome, that's good to hear. You're wondering, um, 
for the country to take internally? Uh, which source? Like, where do you get I buy, where do you... I buy my country from Frontier, as well as I grow a Henry Doubleday hybrid of Uplandica. Okay. Awesome. That's very and helpful. Most people are growing Uplandica hybrids. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try that now. Great. Give, give me a call back in a few weeks and let me know how's, how it's growing, okay? Since we okay. have only a couple of minutes tonight. Okay. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Great blessings. And do we have Chaya with us? Yeah, she is here with us. Mm-hmm. Chaya Grossberg is a graduate of Hampshire College. She's a Kripalu certified yoga instructor. She's also a graduate of the San Francisco School of Massage, she has taught yoga. She's led support in writing groups at Windhorse Associates, the Freedom Center, Western Massachusetts Recovery Learning Community, Alternative to Med Center, Mental Health Association of Portland, and Portland Hearing Voices. She's a former warm line specialist at the Mental Health Association of San Francisco. Chaya has offered non-medical consulting to people coming off of and or seeking alternatives to psychiatric drugs for over 15 years professionally. On podcasts, she shares her own experiences of the psychiatric system and psychiatric drugs and also tells how she helps and supports those struggling to withdraw from psychiatric medications. Chaya questions the idea that some of us are mentally ill and others of us are not. Her book, Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs, is available on Kindle and in paperback. Welcome to the show, Chaya. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. Hi. This is Chaya. Hi. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yes, so wonderful to have you here and to talk about this very, very important subject. Um I believe that that you see psychiatric drugs as an inherently manipulative process. Yeah, I would say that's true for sure. Um, because people are really desperate when they when they are given them. Yes, exactly, and I think that they're often not given alternative approaches or. And they're not necessarily, they're often not told how hard it can be to come off of them and really informed of the negative effects that they might have, especially for children and young people who really don't even know how to find out that information. And especially, I would say, you know, 20, 30 years ago when we didn't really have as much access to doing our own research. But even with the way the internet is now, it's kind of hard sometimes to do research if you don't know what you're looking for because you can find, you know, quote unquote. So, are you telling me that psychiatric drugs, unlike other drugs, do not come with a package insert? Well, they do, but they're so. The package inserts that I have seen with psychiatric drugs are pretty clear that they are very dangerous for young people, that they cause a whole host of problems, at least the ones I've seen. Are you saying that that they're not in drugs anymore or that those things are no longer written there? No, no, I'm not saying that at all. They're definitely written there. They're definitely written there very explicitly. That's pretty accessible information, right? (laughs) 
That's what? That's pretty accessible. That's, yeah, I mean, I think for... That's, I mean, you don't even have to have a computer. It's right there. If you're prescribed a drug right. and you buy that drug, there should be a package insert yeah. in the drug. And also there's a pharmacist selling you that drug, yes. And that yeah, pharmacist is I, very, very well versed. And I know that anytime I want to know about bad effects from a drug, that I ask the pharmacist, what are the, what are the likely you know, bad effects from this? And I, I find the pharmacist a tremendously helpful group of people who are right there. They really know what the side effects are going to be. So I... I I hear what you're saying about the inherent, you know, manipulation um, with psychiatric drugs and people's desperation. And I think that what you're saying is um, that you'd like to see a situation in which there's integrated medicine, in which we don't go immediately to drugs, but we first start off doing other things. Yeah, I would definitely like to see that. And I think that what's a little tricky is that psychiatric drugs tend to have a lot more negative effects when used over time, and they tend to be more extreme than most other types of medication. For example, like if None of them to are to be prescribed for more than six months. It's right in the package insert. Well, that's a good point, and then, but that doesn't get followed at all. I mean, most of the people I've worked with I understand have been that, but again, for, you know, it's, right there for anybody, it's right there for anybody to read. Right, but the thing is that once somebody's on them for even six months, they create dependence. So that's the other difference between psychiatric drugs and, let's say, um, if someone were taking allergy medication or something like that. It's oh, like allergy medication so makes you super dependent. Come on. It's really like the more allergy medication somebody takes, the more allergic they're going to be. Well, that might be for sure true, but they can still usually safely go off of them without having, like, really extreme psychosis or really extreme panic attacks or, like, you know, having what's called akathisia where they can't stay still. So, like, the types of withdrawal symptoms from psychiatric drugs are extremely dangerous. They're not just, like, you know. Is this all psychiatric drugs? Well, no, they're not all they, all, they don't all have the same withdrawal effects, and it's different for each person, you know, so I'm not saying that every single one would have very extreme effects like that, but certain classes, for example, benzodiazepines tend to have those effects for most people, um, and neuroleptics, which are also considered the street, to be those are bennies, right? And, and Benzos. take them because they want those horrible side effects. I don't know, but that's what I've heard. Um, asking around about these because that's that's you know places that you get this kind of information that you're saying. How do we know what's really happening with these drugs? You find out the people who are using them who aren't supposed to be using them. And uh, yeah. and I really I, I totally agree with you. It's a, a really sickening when you read how many older adults in America are put on what we're calling loosely here psychiatric drugs. And these could be drugs to counter depression, drugs to counter anxiety, drugs to help with sleeping. We're not just talking about somebody taking lithium because they have a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Right. And I think what you're pointing out about elderly people is 
extremely important because a lot of times in this country right now, elders are put on a whole cocktail of different medications and then they just throw in an antidepressant, throw in a benzo, throw in, you know, another sleeping pill or anti-anxiety medication. And then that just adds like adds to that cocktail so that it's just like another pill. And then um, the effects are even hard to tell because they're on so many different medications that it's hard to even know what's doing what. Um, which until is, you, know, you until somebody says, why don't you not take this anti-anxiety drug or why don't you not take this anti-depression drug? And suddenly they're having withdrawal effects. Yes, exactly, especially if it's a benzo. But, but um, yeah, even with antidepressants, you know, if people are on them for a long time, they can definitely be having withdrawal effects for sure. And a lot of times they're not told that. I mean, I think it's getting a little bit better. I know that for me when I was on them about 20 to 25 years ago, um, there was no information about withdrawal. So nobody even knew that they're like doctors would never say a thing about it. So, you know, people would just go on and off of medications thinking that it was safe to do so and then have these extreme withdrawal symptoms. And then those withdrawal symptoms would be, labeled as the mental illness coming back or having another mental illness occurring, which would then be put on more drugs for that new quote unquote illness that was resulting from these withdrawal symptoms. So I'd like to make a distinction between someone who has a diagnosis of schizophrenia or a diagnosis of um, bipolar disease and the medications that they are usually suggested to use, which what I've seen is that those medications are highly effective for them and uh, certainly make life a lot easier for people who have to have these people in their lives because they can be quite scary when they're riding the waves of whatever is going on in their mind because they don't live in the reality that I'm living in. So it's very difficult for me to bridge that gap there. And what you are talking about, which is a more everyday, ordinary kind of dandelion, which isn't really mental illness at all. It's anxiety. It's sleeplessness. It's feeling blue. It's the kind of thing that that really can't be distinguished from well behavior and to mark it out as somehow this is mental illness. Um, I totally agree with you is, is is pushing it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because with like the diagnoses of schizophrenia and bipolar, those are also really a spectrum as well. Um, and that's one of the things that most people don't understand if they haven't been working closely with people with these diagnoses for a long time or if they haven't even received these diagnoses themselves because a lot of times young adults go through really intense things. You know, it's very common for somebody to get those diagnoses when they're in their early 20s or even late teens or, or even maybe a little bit later into the 20s. But it's a time when people are often going through some kind of spiritual um, crisis or like, I guess what could be called a spiritual emergence or even starting to process trauma that had gone on in their childhood that they never were able to process 
And in our culture, often those people don't have mentorship. They don't have like real spiritual guidance or really good resources for support outside of the mental health system. So in our culture, people get funneled into that system and given a label of schizophrenia or bipolar. And those labels are not based on any kind of biological assessment. They're based on, you know, what that person's experiencing at that time. And the other thing about it is that a lot of times people will receive those diagnoses when they're going through some kind of drug or alcohol experience, like which could even be a withdrawal from another substance. So it's a bit tricky. I think that it's important not to just assume that because somebody has a label or a diagnosis, a diagnosis of schizophrenia or bipolar or psychosis or anything like that, that it necessarily means that they've had the same experience as someone else who has that label or that there aren't other options for them. Um, or I, that, so you know, I, that I that's prefer like to call it a are. diagnosis rather than a label. A label somehow yeah, sounds like, you know, you could put a label that says peas on a can of tomatoes. But if we're going to diagnose well, the can of tomatoes, tomatoes in it, it's a little more, little more, you know. I receive, I've received those labels like from a psychiatrist who literally talked to me for less than five minutes. So that's why it's important to recognize that in a lot of cases it is a label. It's not a medical diagnosis because there's actually no medical basis for any of those diagnoses. Like if you, it's actually been said by the um, National Institute of Mental, of, um, sorry, of Mental Health that that none of the labels or diagnoses have any biological basis. So I absolutely agree. We're not talking biology here. We're talking mentality. Certainly not biological. But there is a very clear difference to me how the mind of someone works in various situations. Um, Someone once asked my mentor, Jean Houston, how can you tell a shaman from a crazy person? And I think her answer is very cogent. She says, both of them hear voices. The shaman hears voices that talk about love and kindness. The crazy person hears voices that talk about death and destruction. A woman who puts her babies in the oven because she's heard a voice in her head that says that they are the spawn of the devil is not a shaman. And she's not going through spiritual awakening. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, if somebody is causing harm to another person, then that's a really major issue. If somebody's causing harm to, you know, a helpless person or really anyone um, this is my experience with people who have the label of schizophrenia, is they harm and kill and injure others. And when they take do, their medicine, they don't. That's, that's my experience with, that. with more than, I've, I've more than, than two hands with. Uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, my dear friend Patch Adams had his best friend killed by a schizophrenic who decided not to take their medication and saw him and the devil. They could have been in with Could have been anything, but once you get into a place where this person is not functioning in a reality that I'm functioning in, then I have to draw on there and say, if, if you want to be in that reality, you should find another place to do it because you're 
interactions with peaceful, loving people are not peaceful and loving. But I think you make a really important point when you say that neither insurance nor the doctors really deal with withdrawal. And I think that that what you're doing is brilliant by bringing this issue up, helping people with their withdrawal. Can you tell us more about your work helping people to withdraw? Because it's not easy. And do you have resources for them? Do you have special things you want to share with us about that? Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, a big part of it is for people. So I just want to go back to one thing, and then I'll say more about withdrawal. But I just want to go back to one thing, which is that, you know, people who get a schizophrenia diagnosis, some are violent, some really aren't. Like I've worked with a lot of people who get those diagnoses who are not violent or harming anyone. They're, they just actually need support. They really need spiritual support to work through something and to process like whatever kinds of destructive thoughts they might be having or experiences. They need nourishment. They need like a safe space in order to understand what those experiences are about. And that's to, what Patch um, was offering this person who killed his best friend. That's yeah. exactly what he was. Spiritual support, guidance, mentorship. Yeah. So you get through it. Yeah, and they, and they decided that his best friend was the devil and killed him. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are always going to be really extreme cases, but I, I just wanted to point out that not everyone this has. This is not just one really extreme violence. case. This one of many that I know about and have experienced myself. Yes. I hear you, and there are violent people, and being violent is also... I have like, tried myself um, to help people who have this diagnosis, and I have gotten, not killed, because here I am talking to you, but very badly injured, very badly injured. I had, in fact, mm-hmm. one student with this we want to label, we can call it a label. It's fine by me. And she went to a conference that I was teaching and decided, because she was in this wonderful place, not to take her medication. And she went to the main altar and trashed it because it was the work well, of the Well, that's devil. another thing is if somebody just suddenly decides to stop taking their medication, that's withdrawal. That's acute withdrawal that they're in at that moment, at the next, the following month, the following few months. So I, do, I just want to talk then. I'll answer your question about withdrawal so that we can sort of stay on the same page because um, the, mo- the most important thing about withdrawal is to know that it's happening, and that means you need to go very slowly. So if somebody is coming off of medications, first of all, the first thing that I do when I work with people is take a full assessment of their lifestyle. So it's important to understand, you know, what are they eating and when, how are they sleeping, what, are, what is their daily life, what are their daily practices, what are their beliefs, you know, about what's going on, what are their experiences, you know, on the medications or before they started taking them. So I do like a very comprehensive assessment of what's going on with someone to understand the full picture very, very deeply. And from having talked to people with these diagnoses for such a long time, it's easy to see the patterns and like what kinds of things people tend to experience that get them there. But I also see the patterns of withdrawal processes. So the most important thing is to go slowly and to only withdraw one medication at a time, Um, you know, because a lot of times people are on a cocktail. If somebody suddenly just stops taking a whole cocktail or even one really heavy-duty medication, I mean, that is like, you know, somebody quitting cigarettes, alcohol, crack, and cocaine all at once, or and heroin, let's say. You know, it's like it's just completely 
um, not something the body and the nervous system can tolerate, and it often can lead to violence and really extreme behavior. So it's important to go very, very slowly, but also even before withdrawing, it's important to get things like diet and sleep and nourishment really steady and um, really in place. So a lot of like really, a lot of very basic things are often overlooked. Um, so the most important thing really is nourishment, Make, making sure somebody is eating enough and regularly and getting the nourishment they need, because that's something that people often forget when somebody has a diagnosis. Like, they can often forget about really practical things, like, is this person sleeping? Are they eating? And often those questions are no. You'd be surprised at how often somebody simply is not even eating regularly or enough um, or sleeping. So that's really important. Um, yes, that sounds, gather all that sounds okay. so important. Yes, that's a, totally critical. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah are, they not eating, are they not eating because of the drug that makes them forget to eat? It can be. I mean, it's often not that they're not eating at all, although sometimes, like, if somebody's in an acute crisis state, like, before they get on the drug, often when somebody's in an acute crisis where they get put on a drug, during that acute crisis, people are often not eating, like, if they're, you know, having some kind of psychotic episode or just, like, feeling really out of control emotionally on some level, that can often create either forgetting to eat or just, just yeah, just being so preoccupied with whatever emotional or psychic thing that's going on that eating just doesn't even occur to somebody at the, in those times. Or sometimes it can be hard to eat if someone has really extreme anxiety um, but oftentimes, you know, people, most of the people I work with are eating, but they may or may not really be eating enough or eating a really balanced diet so that they're getting enough fat, enough protein, you know, enough starches and enough nutrients with all of their meals. Because in the withdrawal process, it's very important to always be eating very steadily and getting enough nourishment, you know, um, because if somebody's not eating, and like that, this is also common, you know, in our society, a lot of times people, a lot of people might not be eating properly, quote unquote, or, you know, necessarily nourishing themselves enough, but some people can handle that, you know, maybe some people can just live that way without necessarily having it have a huge impact on them, at least in the short term, you know, but then if somebody's going through really extreme trauma or crisis, it becomes much more acutely important to always be eating properly, you know, always be eating enough and getting, getting all the nourishment that one needs. And it can, sometimes it's as simple as someone just not eating enough fat. Like a lot of just quote unquote normal diets in our culture don't even really necessarily eat enough fat um, because a lot of things have been made high sugar, low fat to keep people in a more like a food addiction so those are just some things to think about. Um, I also do work with nourishing herbal infusions and certain herbs that can help people really with the withdrawal process. The two that I most work with are oat straw and tulsi that are both really calming and safe for people and can help with sleep as well. I hope you're not making an infusion of tulsi. Oh, I was, I was, I guess, 
could be a tea or a tincture as well. Do you do you think an infusion of Tulsi is dangerous or? I do. I do because it's an aromatic mm-hmm. herb, and those aromas are volatile oils which can, um, in the concentration of the infusion. Um, be far more damaging to the liver and the kidneys than comfrey leaf can ever be. That's good to know. But what do you think about a very small amount? Because I've heard you say that it's okay to use those herbs if it's just a teaspoon or something. Is that true or no? For short term, yes. For short term, yeah. I'm not saying to drink it every day or anything. But, okay, that's good to know. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I of course, all of the mints can be calming, and my favorite calming mint is motherwort. Oh yeah, and I like yeah, it. I like it more than Tulsi because Tulsi doesn't grow wild around us, but motherwort does. Yeah, and I want people to have the opportunity—not that they have to take it, but to have the opportunity to just go outside and thank the plant that helped them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if like, people had more of a connection with plants from a young age, that that might help a lot with feeling like a sense of grounding that could perhaps give somebody a, a sense of something that might open up a different pathway or other options than the mainstream mental health system, which only kind of has like a certain trajectory and doesn't necessarily give a lot of openness for real healing or a sense of connection. That is is so true. Oh, I cannot believe we have almost talked our half hour away. I'm having (laughs) such a good time with you, Chaya. I wish we could talk for longer. If someone wants to get in touch with you for alternatives to psychiatric drugs or for help in uh, withdrawal or any of the other wonderful things that you offer, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? People can check out my website, which is chayagrossberg.com. You can see the way it's spelled (laughs) on this this podcast on the notes. Um, You can also find my book on Amazon, which is Freedom from Psychiatric Drugs. And check out, you can check out the reviews and the description. I have a lot of blogs on my website, and then you can email me through my website if you want to find out um, or get on my newsletter. You can get a free ebook if you sign up for the newsletter that has some tips and suggestions. So, yeah, and I'm also on social media. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right, wonderful. And thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Susan. I appreciate it. Well, I have one last question for you. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everybody who's been listening tonight? Aw, I love that question. I would like to leave a sense of hope and safety. I once met a woman who told me that she was in and out of mental, mental institutes for all of her life. She, as you're saying, got a diagnosis when she was a teenager and basically just cycled through her ups and downs and the drugs and the institutions and was sitting on a park bench one day on her out 
of the institution and thinking, is this really, you know, is this really all my life is going to be? Am I going to be, you know, just doing this for the rest of my life? And a Native American woman came and sat down next to her and looked at her and said, you need a purpose. Open your hand. And she put in one of her hands seeds, and in the other hand she put a rattle. And she told her she had to plant the seeds and water them at sunrise and at sunset and rattle over them until they grew. And that's really what this woman needed to clear her mind, was to have that purpose in her life. And, of course, what the seeds grew was gourds to make more rattles. (laughs) And she's still growing from those seeds and making rattles all these years later. And that story took place over 35 years ago. Wow. That's a beautiful story. I think that that really illustrates the importance of not giving up on people when possible, you know, and and trusting that that there always could be a seed to be planted and that everyone could possibly have that potential to grow something. Thank you for helping us reweave the healing plug of the ancients. Sarah Ellen, thank you so much. All the help and support, especially in restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Good night and green blessings, everyone. Thank you.